Our first scripture passage today is out of the New Testament, the first letter of John. And if you'd like to follow along with this passage, you'll find it on page 1021 of your Pew Bible. Again, this is 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you stand please for the gospel reading? The gospel reading this morning is in the 16th chapter of Matthew. We're going to read I'm going to read um, verses 13 through 17 and then verses 21 through 26. The Gospel reading for this morning from Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And skipping down to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God. You you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
have to tell you that I am coming to you today with fear and trembling. And um, I don't know, because oftentimes it's because I don't want to look stupid in front of you. Oftentimes I don't want to look unprepared. All kinds of other things that are guiding my fears. But I don't think that's the fear that I'm feeling today. I think that the fear that I'm feeling today is that we will miss this. We will miss the truth that God wants for us today. What will a woman or a man give in exchange for their soul, right? What's at, at risk is our very being, our souls. And, and not only ours, but because of this mystery that, that God chooses to reveal himself through, your life impacts so many other lives. And, and there's a strategy of the evil one to, to take you out so that all the people, some of them are in the room, all the people that, in, that you influence will not hear or see or understand as well. So it is with holy fear that I speak to you today. I need to go to Jesus. Would you go with me? Uh, uh, Lord, these are uh, words on a page right now, but we need you to infuse them with your presence. We need you to um, make your word come alive to us. Help us, God, to see what we can't see. Uh, encourage us, uh, God, in our, in our real identity. Speak to us words of life, God. And as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and intentions of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Mm. Well, uh, it's, I apologize. Today we're going to do a little bit of summary because we're not speaking today in isolation. We've been walking with Jesus for seven weeks. And, and we have seen many things. And, and I think several times our hearts have been pierced and, and we wanted to respond. Uh, and yet we leave and we go back into the world and we forget. And, or as we say, we leak the, the blessings that we've experienced. And so um, Jesus, in everything and every way going before us, both as the victor, right, to win the battle for us. How many times did God say, stand firm, right? You know, we're, we're, the battle's already been won. I want you to see the victory in many ways, having won, winning the victory for us, even as we're watching. But then in the same, by the same token, showing us the strategies that the evil one is going to use to dissuade us, Right? Um, uh, he's been going before us doing both of those things. And so let me just, we're going to move a little bit fast. If, if it blesses you to take notes, that's super. If you looked at those, you probably went, oh my goodness, we're going to be here till next week. But I'm going to move pretty fast because the first three quarters of it you've already heard. And in, many of you have them in your Bible right now, right next to you. But I want everyone to see the whole picture. We started so long ago saying the evil one doesn't genuinely have a new strategy. We can go to Genesis 3, we can go to Matthew 4, we can go to Revelation, and we're going to see the same thing. And John summarizes so well, as Cheryl read it for us again, again, about a new scripture. 
1 John 2, he said, you've got to understand the, the struggle falls out in three major categories. Remember what he said? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think you might have a scripture slide for me, Maddie. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, right? So, so what we've seen in this, and, and, and I, I, this is the first time I ever saw it. I preached on this passage many times. The first time I ever saw this connection. But, but that in a real sense, the things that Jesus is experiencing in the temptation of Christ uh, are those same things. And so we've kind of restructured them. Thanks so much for your help last week, Chad, in doing that. We kind of restructured them to try and see what, what does this look like? What are the surface temptations? What are the, the, um, what is the real thing going on? What are the strategies that the evil one uses? But, but we've tried to put it in this context of these three things. The lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. But remember we also established a working, that's that blank right there, a working definition of Temptation, and I'm emphasizing that for a reason I'll explain later. And a working definition of this temptation is that temptation is the intersection of desire and opportunity. Of desire and opportunity, right? And, and, and so we have seen in these first couple temptations that, that um, we can remove the opportunity or we can ask God for a different... Do you remember that first week? What is your desire? It was so beautiful. What is your desire? My desire is to honor God. This is my desire, to honor you, God. Right? And we've been using that as our working definition of temptation. Now, keep in mind, let me just anchor again one more time. In the original language, there is no difference between the word trial and the word test and the word temptation. Do you remember that now? Do you remember that? There's no difference between those words. So, so the invitation we saw from James in that very first week was to say, when, when you experience a trial, how are you going to understand it? You can, you can see it as a temptation, give in to the desire, James says that leads to death, or you can see it as a test of your faith and be steadfast in it, knowing Christ has already won the victory, right? Be steadfast and immovable in that and end up being made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's, it's death and life are, are the invitation. But I want to just remind you again, it's the same word. It's the same word. So what was, let's, let's, let's um, get our ideas on here and, and remind ourselves of, of many truths. What was this first temptation? I suggested to you that the temptation in John's language was the temptation to the lust of the flesh. And on the surface, is the easiest way to understand it, that lust is the, des- the desire to meet your own needs. Remember that? To meet your own needs. But there's something deeper going on here, right? And, and, and beyond just our own needs, there's also a temptation for this lack of trust in God's promise to provide for your needs. God has said, I am all you need. And when we try and meet our own needs, we're giving in to this deeper temptation to not trust that God is able. And I say this again, knowing that many of you are in physical, emotional, spiritual, financial situations where that's a real temptation. You're thinking, how do I fix this, right? 
And, 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 and Satan is drawing you toward that place where, where you stop believing that God is able to provide for you, right? So what was the real temptation in that lust of the flesh? To shortcut or short-circuit what God is producing in you. Remember John the Baptist? He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. God is doing something wonderful in your life, and it's going to have amazing fruit, and generations, should he tarry, are going to be blessed. If you will believe, if you will wait, generations will be blessed. But don't short-circuit the process, right? Don't take it back into your own hands and try and solve it. Oh, you may look really successful by the world's standards, but you will not at all be successful by God's standard. Okay? And that's who we want to please. So the strategy of Satan we saw in that first temptation of Jesus was to isolate you, to wait until you're weakest, to attack you then with half-truths. Do you remember that? Half-truths, right? It sounds good. Um, watch out for number one. Um, your self-esteem is really... Imp- All those things sound good, right? But they're half-truths. They're half-truths, which are the first step away from the real truth of what God has already said. All of this is couched in the baptism and the proclamation of God to Jesus about who he was, right? And, and Satan comes back with half-truths to try and dissuade him from those things. So what was the solution? you remember that? Counter the temptation with truth. In particular, and this is a step for some of you, I understand. In particular, to counter it with the, the Word of God. So I'm asking you to ask yourself, do I really believe that this Word of God is truth? is truth. Remember, we believe not just in the written Word of God, but we believe that when we speak it to other people, the Holy Spirit does wonderful things, and both the written Word and the spoken Word point to the living Word of God in Jesus Christ. Counter temptation with the written, spoken, and living Word of God. And the discipline we invited you into that first week was, was the discipline of focusing on the Word of God. Um, through personal Bible study, uh, using, and we gave you another tool, uh, soaps. I pray it's harder, it takes more time, but I, I, I pray that you would uh, drink deep of that. Again, there, there are bumper stickers, there are Bible bookmarks in the, um, in the foyer that outline that study for you. But then secondly, um, uh, through being together with other people, and when we also have given you a bookmark to say, how can I do a Bible study with other people that will actually lead us into truth and will equip one another to lead others into truth as well? And we call that at all of that discovery Bible study. And we've been inviting you to this experience of Discovery Bible Study Together. Seven simple questions that anyone can take to any passage of God's Word and drink deep of the truths that are in there. The first temptation, the lust of the flesh to meet your own needs. I'm I'm racing here. Thanks for following with me. The second temptation, remember that? The boastful pride of life, right? And, and this was such a revelation to me. On the surface, it looks like the desire to be liked and accepted by others. Throw yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you, right? And the people will love, they'll flock to you, Jesus. You'll become the most popular guy in Israel, right? But there's something deeper here. There's something deeper, and that is to be raised up above others. And I confess to you that I've felt that in myself. 
I mean, it can be as simple as driving down the street and wanting just to get to the stoplight before the next person does, but most of the ways that it, it reveals itself are much more insidious. To be raised up above others, what's the real temptation? The temptation is my pride. It's my pride, right? My identity tied to my relative position to others. You know, as long as I'm higher or faster or ahead of someone else, then, then I feel better about myself. What's the deepest temptation there? It's the temptation to authority and power. I want to control other people, right? I want to control them and, and express power over them. And beloved, if this is left to its own, it, it, it results in inexpressible violence and pain that lasts for generations should there be no redemption. What's the strategy of Satan? We saw, well, excuse me, I jumped one. The strategy of Satan here was to come right back with your focus on Scripture and to twist that Scripture, right? Well, yeah, he said, chuck yourself off and his angels will guard you. And we saw that a remarkable thing, do you remember? In Psalm 91, where the next line said, you're going to crush the head of Satan, right? The next line says, because you love me and, and, and acknowledge my name, I will deliver you. There's nothing that you're going to face that, that God cannot provide for you. So, so what's the solution? Don't put God to the test, right? Don't put him to the test humbly, humbly. Descend into greatness. Humbly serve God and your neighbor. That neighbor is always the test of whether you're genuinely serving God. If you can't serve your neighbor who you can see, how can you possibly serve God whom you can't see, right? Humbly serve God and your neighbor. The disciplines then are humility and service, Humility and service. And then again, thank you, Chad. Last week, Chad took us to that third temptation. Um, I call that the lust of the eyes, right? Took him to the high mountain, showed him all the kingdom, showed him. He saw, oh, ooh, this is, this looks pretty good, right? I have this every time I go in the tool section of Home Depot. Ooh, this looks good, right? Um, the lust of the eyes. At the simplest, at the Dave level, it, it's materialism, right? I gotta have it. There's a really cute commercial. Remember that couch commercial? Gotta have that couch. And then the guys that break in say, gotta have that couch, right? Um, to, what is the deeper one? To possess and even experience what God might not want you to experience. Eating of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. To control, right? To control. I look like I jumped in this. I did. Earlier, I'm sorry. Earlier, I jumped to authority and power. I'm sorry. The, the temptation, the earlier one, was, was um, pride. Here, the temptation is to authority and power. And the solution, excuse me, the strategy of Satan is to offer what you already have, right? To offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Well, God already gave him all the kingdoms of the world and all the kingdoms of heaven, Right? God, God gave him everything that Satan was offering him. The temptation then was to, uh, the strategy was to offer something that is already yours apart from God's way and God's timing. And so God's offering you something that's already yours, but to do it in his way rather than God's way and in his timing rather than God's timing. That's going to be important for us today, beloved. 
The solution, rebuke the evil one. Jesus said, be gone, Satan. I know this is really uncomfortable for you, and I think it, it kind of reveals sometimes that we don't really believe that Satan exists or that we're afraid that other people will see us rebuking Satan or speaking of Satan and ridicule us from it, and we care more about what other people think than we care about what Jesus said, right? But Jesus said, be gone, Satan. James reminds his brother, reminds us in James chapter 4, resist the evil one and he will depart from you. This is truth, beloved. You have that authority and power. In Jesus' name, be gone, Satan. Have nothing to do with my life. Have nothing to do with my family or the generations should you tarry that come from my family. You have that power to speak and to rebuke the evil one. And when you do, he flees. He flees, right? But then also, as Chad shared with us last week, worship God. Make sure you're not... You're not bowing down at these false idols, right? Worship God alone. And the discipline that he invited us to was this discipline of worship and generosity. My expression for that is empty-handed worship. I'm not going to cling to anything in this world. Not security in finances, not security even in family members. All those things go away. Security in God and God alone. Worship God alone. Well, again, wow, what a, a primer on temptation served up for us um, by Jesus, right? But, um, but there's more, beloved, and that's what today is about. There's more. You've seen it, and, and it's going to sound redundant to you, but if you miss this, you miss everything. If you miss this, All of these are great strategies, are great understandings that will help you in following Jesus. But there was something so subtle in all of those scriptures. And and after I expose it to you again today, you'll start to see it everywhere. There's something so subtle in all of this that if you miss it, you can do all the right things and still experience the struggle of temptation. To understand it, we're going to have to look at a couple more scriptures. One today, and one more on this Wednesday night. But but today, uh, let me just remind you of this context of, of Palm Sunday, right? In Luke's account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, an astounding thing happens. When Jesus gets to that Mount of Olives, he looks over that mountain, he sees the holy city, and right when the greatest, the greatest affirmation of his identity is happening, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right when all those good things are happening, Jesus stops and weeps and, and, and says, Oh, how I long to gather you in my arms because on the day of the visitation, in other words, on this day, when Jesus came into Jerusalem as King of kings and Lord of lords, they did not recognize him. What do you mean they didn't recognize him? They're shouting all these things. Oh, they, they, they thought they recognized him, but, but they wanted deliverance without pain. They wanted they wanted. Uh, um, victory without cost. Do you hear that? Because we live in a culture that wants those same things. We 
we have refined the art of pain avoidance. And as a result, are experiencing pain quadrupled. I'm sorry, it's just a rash of suicides going on in Evansville right now. While we were in this service of celebration of Bill's life, uh, uh, news came to one of the pastors that was with me of, of uh, another suicide. Another. If this was working, if this, this society is helping us to avoid pain, why are our young people killing themselves? Huh? Why? You know, we're, not, we're not helping when we succumb to uh, even, even the religious accolades. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and we don't recognize who it is that has come. This is going to be important for us, okay? This is going to be important for us. Here's the words of Jesus. Would that even you, hear it as if for the first time, speaking to you, Would that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that wonderful Palm Sunday encouragement, right? Um, They will not leave one stone Upon another, some of you have seen the stones of the temple in the Kidron Valley, the fulfillment of this very prophecy. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not recognize it. So let me ask questions from our passage for today. Three important questions. You know them, but I want you to put them in context now with everything that we have learned. What does our, who does our culture say that Jesus is? Who does our culture say that Jesus is, right? And who they say he is. Those, he's a good man, a great teacher, a prophet, right? Um, several billion people in the world believe specifically that Jesus is a, the, a prophet, a prophet of God, right? And they will spend a Christless eternity unless nothing else changes. I'm speaking right now of our, our Muslim friends, Right? They, they believe that Jesus is a prophet, but it does not save them. Oh, oh, Jesus, the culture says that you are John the Baptist. Come back, come back from the dead, right? They also, in their culture, had this reincarnation uh, element floating around. Others say, you're Elijah, right? Elijah got taken up in glory. You're Elijah. Come back. Still others say you're the fulfillment of Jeremiah, the uh, returned, right? Uh, and and they, they probably felt pretty good. They kind of gave the... The right answer, and, and, and Jesus gets to the point and says, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Right? We could spend all day on this, but let me just say, in a moment of prophetic inspiration by the Holy Spirit, Jesus made that clear. This was not Peter coming to this conclusion himself. This was a Holy Spirit-inspired moment. Peter, and listen to what he says, beloved. Peter says, you are the Christ. Guess what? The Son of the living God. Does that mean something different to you now after all these weeks? You're the Son of God. You are the child, in this case, the only begotten Son of God. It's there. It's out there. For the first time in Matthew now, it's, it's out there. No, sure, demons have said it, but no one believed them, right? 
Other, other people have said it, but the disciples didn't believe them. Jesus called them out like he calls you and me out, and he says, who do you say that I am? Everything hinges on who you believe Jesus to be. And, and Peter, in a moment of inspiration, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now note that he's declaring a couple of things. He's declaring Jesus' identity. He is the only begotten Son of God, don't let that dissuade you when I call you a child of God because you are a child of God, but you're not the only begotten. The Holy Spirit and Mary made this child, Jesus, who was the firstborn of all of us, right? We are adopted into his family. Peter is declaring Jesus' identity, but he's also, beloved, declaring his mission. He's also declaring his mission. He is the Christ, the Savior of the world, who came to seek and save the lost. Just a couple of days before, when he met Zacchaeus and Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, he told them his purpose. My purpose is to seek and save the lost. And that was the job description, one of the job descriptions of the Christ, right? So two really important questions from Jesus. Who do the people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And let me add the third question from these seven weeks of study here. Who are you? Who are you? I ran out of time, so let me get right to it. Are you a rock upon which Christ can build his church? Or are you his adversary? I would love to have 50 shades of opinion in between. Pardon the bad reference. But Jesus doesn't give us those. He's pretty black and white, right? Are you the rock upon which Jesus can build his church? A rock, excuse me, not the rock. A rock upon which Jesus can build his church. Or are you, what did he call Peter? Do you remember? See, that just, that just blows us wide open, right? We can see it clear as day. He's calling Peter Satan? No, he's recognizing where that thought came from. Jesus said, the purpose of the Son of Man is is to, um, to go to Jerusalem, to be beaten and flogged, to be crucified, to die, and to rise again on the third day. Right? And Peter says, no way! I'll never let that happen. I'll protect you, Jesus. Right? And, and in that very statement, betrayed Jesus' purpose. Not, not as in revealed it, as in betrayed it. Betrayed both his identity and his purpose. So my question to you, Peters, are you a rock upon which Christ can build his church? Are you an adversary for Christ's purposes? Are you surrendering to Christ's kingdom or in your devotion to yourself and your kingdom are you surrendering to Satan? I am sorry. I just can't make it any clearer than that. Are you surrendering to Christ and his kingdom or in your devotion to yourself and your kingdom surrendering to the evil one? Let me see if I can spell it out for you. In every temptation that we have seen, whether implicitly in the first two or explicitly, excuse me, Implicitly in the third or explicitly in the first two, the preface for the temptation was this. If you are a child of God, right? 
That was the preface for it. We're going to see that many more times. Now that your eyes are open to it, you're going to see it all over the place. But we're going to highlight on two of them in the coming days, right? Um, the, the preface was this if, twisting the very thing that had happened that God had said to Jesus, you are my son. I got a new name for you. You're my beloved, right? And I'm pleased with you, right? And, and so um, now Satan comes right back very subtly because I looked at the food thing. I looked at the pride thing, right? I looked at all this other stuff very subtly in there. He's, he's saying, Dave, do you really believe that you are a child of God, right? Yes, he gave us a powerful preview, Jesus did, of all those other temptations, and Satan will use them. But honestly, he's, Satan's already, already won many of those battles. Not won. He's winning those battles with us right now. Because we're not anchored in our core identity. We don't know who we are. Right? So, so he was giving us a, a primer on how Satan is going to approach us, how he's going to attract us. But, but the, real, the real temptation is this. To deny, for Jesus, it was to deny his identity and purpose. Both, by the way, represented in the cross that was before him. In the cross. Did you see what Peter was doing? I'll, I'll, make, I'll work this out, Jesus, so you don't have to go to the cross. What would have happened, beloved, if Jesus would not have gone to the cross? Do you see the danger? Do you see why Jesus used such strong language? Is, is there a strategy in here? I want to add another strategy, and this is Dave here, but I'm, I'm trusting that it's worthy of our consideration, that there's a strategy in here that Satan's going to tempt you to avoid suffering. Right? Let's find a way to go to the cross without suffering. How does that work for you? Right? And, and the, the church, especially the North American church, has bought this clan and sinker. That, that believe in God and you will never suffer. Really? How has that worked for you? How has that worked for you? I mean, do you remember the first time after you became a follower of Jesus when you hit that wall and, and all of a sudden you're going, I didn't think this would ever happen. Some of you are in this right now. Hold on. This is not the end of the story. It's Friday, to use Tony Campolo's language, right? But Sunday's coming. But, but he never promised you that you wouldn't suffer. He never promised you that you wouldn't have pain. No, if he would allow his own son to experience that, doesn't it make sense that he would allow us to experience that as well? The strategy of Satan is there's a way to do this where you don't suffer. There's a way that takes you out of your comfort zone, right? And it's a lie. Why do I know that? How can I say that so, so strongly? Stronger than most of the time you've ever heard me speak, right? Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his or her life will lose it. But whoever loses it, who embraces the way of Christ, for me, will save it, Jesus said, right? So what's the discipline? The discipline is to follow Jesus, beloved. I, I, see, see, we've used those words for years and decades, but I don't know that we felt the impact of them. 
Right? Every Ash Wednesday, until this last one, we studied that very same passage. And we said, yeah, count me in. We came forward and, and said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Really? We've got, we've got to recognize this fourth temptation. I'm sorry, I'm smiling. I should be smiling at Cheryl. When I was trying to preach on this in Ecuador, the, the translator kept changing my four temptations to three temptations. Because he goes, I don't want to embarrass this guy who doesn't seem to know that there's only three temptations of Jesus. So he changed. I, I can tell the difference between trace and quattro. I'm sorry, you know. Finally, I just had to turn and say, no, four. Right? And, and this one might be the greatest one. We put it in Jesus' terms first, and we'll, we'll finish this thing. We'll land this plane. The greatest temptation that Jesus experienced, and therefore, by logic, that we will experience is the temptation to deny who we really are and to deny God's purpose for us. Your identity is that you are a child of God. You've heard that so many times. We've sung it. It's a beautiful concept. But in the beautiful concept, don't lose the reality because that's the place where you're going to be tested the greatest. Your identity as a child of God, before anything else, before a son or daughter or mother or father or a successful worker or any other identity, your identity is as a child of God. But your purpose, your purpose, I'm saying this stronger than I can imagine here, is to glorify God by obeying his word. Oh, why? You're expecting something a little fancier than that, right? Everything else comes back to this. And if we can't obey him in the small things, how in the world are we ever going to obey him when he asks us to take up our cross, right? Your purpose is to glorify God by, not and, by obeying his word. And at its very simplest, after Easter, we're going to just camp on this, at its very simplest, obeying God's word means loving God, loving your neighbor, and making disciples who make disciples. And you just checked out. Because those were all familiar words. But I wanted you to see it today. In the context of the spiritual warfare that you're in, there's nothing more important than loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, I will join you in this mission. Not all those other missions that you have. I will join you in this mission. Making disciples who make disciples, okay? Making disciples who make disciples. Hear this, and I'm still trying to unpack this. God just gave it to me this morning, but unpack this in my own mind. It is only in recognizing Jesus that we will recognize ourselves. And if we don't recognize ourselves, we will do stupid things to ourselves. It is only in recognizing Jesus, his identity and purpose, that we will recognize ourselves, our identity and purpose. Let me flip it and say it the backwards way. If we don't recognize Jesus, we will never recognize ourselves. If we don't recognize Jesus, we will never recognize ourselves. Jesus wept. Because the people did not recognize him. Even in their adulation, they did not recognize him. 
And just a few short weeks, excuse me, and just a few short weeks after, short days after Jesus came into Jerusalem, Peter denied Jesus before the world three times. Let me say it one more way, slightly differently. We can either deny ourselves or we will deny Jesus. Don't read into something I'm not saying. I'm not saying, I don't know why that's stuck into my mind, M&Ms are bad. It's a temptation I'm facing. But it's, it's, I'm not saying things are bad in and of themselves. My question is, are those things controlling you? Is your pride controlling you? Is your need to control other people controlling you? Are your addictions controlling you? Hey, welcome to my world. Let's bring to bear together the good news of Jesus Christ and break the power of these things over one another. Let's, let's through extraordinary prayer, break the power of these things over our children and our grandchildren, right? Let's get serious, beloved, and follow Jesus together. Because we'll either deny ourselves or we will deny Jesus. And if we don't deny ourselves, then most likely the Jesus that we think we know will just be a dim projection of ourselves onto God. Did you hear that? If we don't deny ourselves, then the Jesus that... I'm watching all over the city as people proclaim a Jesus that I don't know. And they're saying that Jesus said things that I don't recognize in His Word, right? And all over our culture and our city, there's these things happening. So, so if, we don't, if we don't take Him at His Word here, if we don't deny ourselves, then we'll just project onto Jesus whatever we want to be. It's like the Haunted Mansion at Disney World where they have these these um, these fake statues, and they just project a face on them. So you go, how is that statue talking like that? Well, they just projected themselves onto it. And I have done that to Jesus, and I repent of it. And, and I want to invite you, don't do that to Jesus. Let's start with Jesus, his identity and purpose, and find ours in it. Last thought. I just told Karen we can't do that multiple endings. Here's the last one. Updated definition of temptation. I have not thought this through, um, but it was just coming to me as I was up in my office before this. Remember how we've said that temptation is the intersection of desire and opportunity? Um, I want to suggest to you that temptation or trials or uh, tests are the intersection of your identity and desires and opportunity, right? And if you're just battling on the desires and, and opportunity side of it, you're missing the greatest resource you have to overcome. That you're a child of God. That you are a child of God. Let me keep my promise. Pray with me. God, thank you um, for your word. That it never returns to you void. God, thank you um, that, that you both show us in your word the very strategies we'll need, God, to walk with you. Jesus, you went before us in everything and, and fought the good fight and won the battle and, and provided a way for us. But God, we, we have become so accustomed to giving intellectual assent instead of into stepping into and believing what your word says. So Father, help us to choose today. 
I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't understand all these words. I don't know how you'll ask me to deny myself. I don't know how, what, what temptations that I will face. But I'm going to believe your word, God. I'm going to believe that, that if I will risk following you, then all these other things will be taken care of. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you have spoken into our lives. You have declared what we even have trouble wrapping our brain around. You have told us who we are. And we are yours. We're not abandoned. We're not forsaken. We're not struggling against a God who doesn't love us. We are your precious children who you want everything for. And hearing the voices of our children in the foyer, God, help us to be a child of God. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.